0: Hello to everyone in this room, at all of our campuses, and watching online. And for all of us, a quick reminder that next week we will be shifting to one online service at 10.30. Uh, But now we are finishing up our series on David called Being Human, in which we talked about embracing our humanness as we live in God's presence. And we've been wrestling with this question that David himself posed in Psalm 8. What are human beings that you are mindful of them, mortals that you care for them? Yeah, you've made them a little lower than God and crowned them with glory and honor. Now, this has been one of my favorite series that we've ever done. And I'm not just saying this because I've, I've preached in it several times. That would, that would be petty. And I'm a holy pastor. Pettiness is way beneath me. Uh, to finish, we want to talk about the reality that part of ex- embracing our humanists is dealing with failure. So, we're going to talk about a word that might be cringe worthy for many of you, a word that carries a lot of baggage with it. This word, you ready for it? Sin. That's right. Some of you are eyeing the person next to you that convinced you to come as if to say, see, I told you I never should have come here. I knew they were going to talk about it. Others of you uh, grew up with extremely strict uh, religious backgrounds, maybe. and, And the word sin conjures up memories of not being allowed to listen to certain music, watch certain movies, or say certain words. I remember letting one of those certain words slip from my mouth as a young kid on a camping trip when a fire ant uh, bit me on the foot. My mom said, what did you say? And I said, oh, I said shift. Like I need to shift my chair because a a fire ant bit me. It's a holy shift. (laughs) I was a young sinner saved by my quick wit. And if you're a student listening today, you're welcome for this tip from a pro. Uh, Maybe... you, it brings up darker thoughts of shame or guilt, someone yelling at you that you're going to hell for your sins. Or maybe it's it's sort of the opposite for some of you. It's such an irrelevant, outdated concept that you only use it to talk about small indulgences like chocolate or ice cream. Whatever your comfort level is, rest assured, I'm I'm not going to overly dwell on this word or try to make you feel guilty or shamed. Uh, for all I care, you can use whatever choice words you want. We're Presbyterians. We're, we're a little more lax about that kind of thing. Instead, we're going to talk about how humans respond to our failures and sins and mistakes and the choice we all have. Because failures are a part of being human. But how we respond to these failures determines our lives path. But first, we need to lean in to the cringiness. So, a cringe worthy story. In 2006, after I graduated college, uh, I knew the next step was to find my dream job. That's how it works, right? Uh, but I don't know about you, my college wasn't handing out dream jobs at the commencement. So, like many, I needed a gap job. Uh, that led me to a little-known boutique coffee shop in Oklahoma City uh, called Starbucks. I walked in for my interview, my head held high. I, I was overqualified for this job, a well-studied college graduate. They would be lucky to have me. As I went to give the manager a handshake, he, he declined, uh, claiming his hands were dirty, but I noticed something was off in his face. Now, I did get the job, and two weeks into it, I still felt pretty good about myself, but that's when I noticed my manager and a couple of coworkers looking at me and giggling. They proceeded to tell me that the day I walked in for my interview, I coughed into my hand as I entered, and the sun was, was shining behind me. And as I pulled my hand down, preparing for a handshake with the manager, there was a long string of saliva that was connected from my mouth to my hand. My manager said he almost vomited on the spot. Now, there's nothing, nothing more cringeworthy than someone pointing out a flaw or a blemish or habit of yours and realizing you were not even aware of it. You're blind to the reality that apparently everyone else knows. Uh, For example, when it comes to having something stuck in your teeth, there, there are two kinds of people in the world. The first wants someone else to point it out, but the other would rather the rest of us pretend it doesn't exist because they would rather be ignorant than embarrassed. Uh, so as a way to practice, why don't you just turn to the person next to you in the room or at your house right now and just point out a flaw that you see on their face? <laughs> don't do that. Uh, of course, it, it happens in, in bigger ways too, right? Maybe someone pointed out a bad habit that you have. or a, the way that you treat your kids or spouse. Maybe you discovered a pattern that is hurtful to others or ways that you withdraw or an addiction that you didn't even realize was an addiction. Here's the deal. In those cringe-worthy moments, we all have a choice. The choice leads to a path. We can choose to be defensive or deny. We can avoid or get angry. And this first choice leads to a path that's, that's closed off, blinded to the reality and truth. Or we can choose to embrace the painful, cringy reality, to look it in the face. And this choice leads to a path that's more open, leading to more truth and transformation. This choice is available to all of us. Each human can choose their path. So now let's turn to the most cringeworthy part of the David story. Let's turn to 2 Samuel 11. In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab with his officers and all Israel with him, and they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah but David remained at Jerusalem. Now, a quick pause here. We've come to know David as a humble servant who uses his position to serve God in his heart. But the, the writer lets us know right away that this story has a shift. Instead of doing his job as a servant king, he's remaining at his home on his throne instead of with his men doing the work. Let's continue. It happened late one afternoon when David rose from his couch and was walking about on the roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to inquire about the woman. It was reported, this is Bathsheba, daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. So David sent messengers to get her and she came to him and he lay with her. And now she was purifying herself after her period. And then she returned to her house. The woman conceived and she sent and told David, I am pregnant. Now many of us have heard this story before, but we need to try and reimagine as if we're hearing this for the first time. How cringy! bad it is. We aren't prepared for this, David. This is the same David that when confronted by Goliath, he he ran into the fight while others fled. And now he's staying away and letting others do the work. But it gets even worse. Uh, After this abuse of power with Bathsheba following his desires, he then sends for her husband Uriah, who was out fighting. And initially, he tries to salvage the situation by having Uriah lie with his wife, hoping the pregnancy would look like his, but Uriah is too honorable. So David, then again, uses his power to treat Uriah like a pawn in his game. And he manipulates the situation to have Uriah killed, taking Bathsheba for himself. Now, let's break down this story for a minute. The first thing we need to do is this. We need to call this what it is. This was not an affair or a meeting based on consensual feelings. This was sexual abuse. This was a powerful king refusing to see the Imago Dei in this daughter of God. And instead of seeing, uh, instead he, he saw something he wanted and desired. He used his powers to abuse this woman and pleasure himself. And sometimes uh, in the church, we've skirted past stories like this. Everyone makes mistakes, which yes is true, but this was not Bathsheba's mistake. This was abuse. I want to take a quick pause and and say to you that I'm sorry. I'm sorry to any of you listening who have been hurt by the church. The very institution that was built on loving and protecting the vulnerable has many times opted to protect priests and pastors and politicians who hold the power instead of those who have been abused or manipulated. I'm sorry. Again, when confronted with the cringeworthy truth We have the choice to avoid, deny, or be defensive, or we can choose to be open. And the church has often chosen the first path. Now, the second thing to point out in this story is that David has begun to embrace his own power instead of God's. If you have a Bible with you or if you're on your screen, uh, either right now or maybe later in the week, look through chapter 11 and highlight every time you see the word sent, send, or set in regard to David. Now, in my version, I have it highlighted 10 times. Now, why is this important? Well, who has the power to send people to do their bidding? A king, right? He sits on his throne sending others to do what he wishes. I don't have that power. Uh, What would happen if I tried this at home with my wife? What if I sit on my lazy boy throne and I send her off to bring me some barbecue and drinks? We already know the result of this experiment. Uh, She will then be sending me to the couch to sleep for the night. This happens with power. We forget that other people, regardless of ethnicity, socioeconomic status, position, or intelligence... humans just like us. But David is blind to all this. He's unaware of this reality. In this moment, he doesn't think he's an abuser or a murderer. He's a lover or maybe a strong leader forced to make hard decisions. That's the thing, right? Most of us don't plan our failures on purpose. We're blinded to the reality. There's a cognitive bias called fundamental attribution error. Now, this is what happens uh, when someone cuts us off in traffic. What do we think about them? Uh, Immediately, we assign them a label of a bad person, a bad driver, or they are selfish. They're probably addicted to their phone. They must be a Dodgers fan. We assume the worst of them. We tell a story about how bad they are. But what happens when I cut someone off in traffic? Well, I'm, I'm just late for an important meeting. Uh, my boss is just a really tough boss. I, I have an emergency. I'm a good person. I just, I just made a mistake. See, I tell uh, a story that blames the situation uh, or others. I assume the best of myself. It's not really my fault. And this is what David does, but it's what we do too. We see others' failures for what they are, but we deny our own. Often, what it takes is someone to help us wake up to the truth. Someone or something to jolt us awake, opening our eyes. So now, the prophet and priest, Nathan, enters the story. As we read this introduction, notice the word again the word sent. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord, and the Lord sent Nathan to David. Now, what a brilliant turn here. There's only one who does the sending, it's the real king, and he's sending an awakening truth to David. And Nathan proceeds to tell David a story about a rich and powerful man and a poor man. The poor man had only one lamb that was like a member of the family providing for them. But when the rich man had an important guest come to town, instead of sacrificing his own lambs, which he had plenty of, he uses his power to take the poor man's only lamb and kill it. And when David hears this story, he is outraged. He sees the truth with clear, unbiased awareness. This is a sin. The powerful can't abuse the powerless like this. And this is what we do as humans. We see the sins of others and we get outraged about those people, those progressives, those conservatives, those leaders, those kinds of people and we miss the truth about us. But Nathan brilliantly turns the story and he says these powerful words to David, you are the man, you are the man, you are the woman, I am the man, it's you, it's me. I can't imagine how much this made David cringe and shudder. The outrage about those evil people suddenly turned inward. The truth and reality of what he has done confronting him. And In this moment, my friends, in this moment, he has a choice. Just like each of us, he can choose to get angry he can go all Game of Thrones on Nathan and get rid of him. He can choose to deny it. It didn't happen like she's saying. He can choose to get defensive. You don't understand how hard this job is. I deserve this. He can choose to avoid, or ignore it. This is the closed path. This path will lead to new levels of abuse and evil. Or he can choose the other path, the open path. He can be open to this new, cringy reality. This open path can lead to repentance, transforming into more awareness and grace and light. So here's David's response and choice and the entire point of this sermon today. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. I have sinned against the Lord. David embraces this cringeworthy reality. I have sinned. I have failed. He allows the full weight of this failure to set in. Failures are inevitable. That's a part of being human. But how we respond to these failures determines our life's path. A few weeks ago, I had the privilege of visiting the Kansas City Indian Center. And while there, a woman named Gladys shared about the work they're doing for indigenous folks in the area, providing food and help and pushing for justice. At one point, one of my peers asked her, how do you deal with the anger you feel from all that's been done to you and your ancestors? She started crying and she said with a lot of prayer because they took everything and it's still happening today. And she detailed the abuses, the betrayals and the inhumane treatment to her tribe, but also so many indigenous tribes across the country. And as she spoke, I couldn't stop tearing up. A phrase kept rolling around in my brain. I am that. I am complicit. If I'm honest, many times I I avoid these conversations. I deny my culpability. When it comes to systemic or societal injustices like these, we have a choice. Many times we close ourselves off and we say, "I, I had nothing to do with that. That wasn't me. Others get angry. Some get defensive. But when we open ourselves and we choose another path, we see reality for what it is and we long for repentance and justice and transformation. Because whether it's corporate, systemic failures or our own personal failures, this is the reality of humanity, right? For all have sinned. We know that verse. It's easy to quote, believe it in theory, but it's not just a general theological statement. This is a statement about you. It's a statement about me. Eugene Peterson says, uh, the gospel is never a truth in general. It's always a truth in specific. The gospel is never a commentary on ideas or culture or conditions. It's always about actual persons, actual pain, actual trouble, actual sin. You me, who you are, what you've done, who I am, and what I've done. In probably the most famous hymn of all time, we see the words, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a what? A wretch like me. But for the author of this hymn, John Newton, a wretch would be a nice word to describe him. Newton was a slave trader a human trafficker, someone who treated humans like property or goods. Many of you know this story, but what you may not know is that Newton wrote Amazing Grace uh, before he had abandoned the slave trade. He had just surrendered his life to Jesus after a miraculous rescue during a shipwreck, Uh, but this put him on the path. He began to open himself to truth In reality, becoming more aware of his failures and sins. And this path wouldn't stop for the rest of his life. And eventually it brought him to the cringeworthy evils that he had been a part of. Later in life, he wrote this publicly. It will always be a subject of humiliating reflection to me that I was once an active instrument in a business which my heart now shudders. See, it's impossible to experience an amazing grace until you stare at your failures and you allow the heart to shudder and cringe. Once you see the depth of sin, you can see the amazing grace of the Savior. Because although you are that man, you are that woman, there's a story of another man this man, like the story Nathan told, was also a lamb. Uh, John the Baptist saw Jesus walking. And he says, here is the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is that man. The lamb given in our place. He chose a path that was beyond cringy, a path that would make hearts shudder, and he opened his arms. He opens and he takes the failures and sins and blemishes. And he didn't just come to take the small sins of clean and pretty people. He's never looked for perfect people. He doesn't require perfection. He requires people to be open, willing to see the truth. He tells a story of a religious person thanking God that he is not like that sinful tax collector, easily identifying the sin and failures in the other, blinded to his own. But then the tax collector looks at the cringeworthy, heart-shuddering truth in the face, and he beats his chest, and he says, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus says this, This is the man who walks away forgiven. That's the choice we all have. Failures are a part of being human. But how we respond to these failures determines our life's path. So what will you choose? Will you choose to deny your humanity, avoid your failures and mistakes and addictions, leading down a path away from Jesus, Will you beat your chest that covers your shuddering heart and acknowledge your failures and mistakes? And like David in Psalm 51, after his most cringeworthy moment, will you say, have mercy on me, oh God. Will you be open to repentance and transformation? This week, my challenge to you is to meditate on this psalm. Psalm 51 throughout the entire week. And ask God to search your heart, reveal the the failures, the addictions and realities, and then choose to be open. Repent and turn to Him. Ask Him to transform you to become more like Him in every thought, action, and decision. And now at all of our campuses, uh, we will be taking communion together. And this is a perfect way to end this sermon and the series, because this is a table, not for the perfect and blameless humans, but a table for sinners in need of amazing grace. The lamb was given for every single mistake you've made and will ever make if you are willing to acknowledge and respond with openness. So use this time to open yourself to God to become more aware of the places that need his light and transformation and choose the path of redemption. So on the night he was betrayed, Jesus gathered around with his followers and his disciples, not clean, pretty, perfect people, but sinners like you, like me, like all human beings. And then he he took the bread And he broke it. He said, this is my body broken for you. Uh, Whenever you eat this, eat it in remembrance of me. So wherever you're watching this from, take your cracker, take your bread. And as you eat this, remember what Jesus has done for you. The lamb who takes away the sins of the world. And then Jesus took the wine and he poured it out in a cup and he looked at his disciples and he said, this cup is the cup of my new covenant. It's, it's my blood poured out and given for you. So now, whenever you drink of this, remember me. So again, wherever you are, take your juice, take your water and drink this and remember the lamb takes away the sins of the world.